Today's scripture reading comes from Psalm chapter 119, verses 169 to 176. You can turn to your Bibles or inside your bulletin. Tav, let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Morning, everyone. Glad to see you all this morning. Before we're going to the uh, preaching of this uh, God's word this morning, want to introduce guests who have joined us. Uh, if, if I call you, if you can just raise your hand so we can recognize where you are and welcome you properly. Uh, we have Chiwan and his family. If you guys can, they're sitting way in the back. Uh, thank you for joining us today. <clears throat> Well, as we are uh, going into Psalm 119 this morning, I uh, wanted to give a, a brief introduction of what Psalm 119 is before we go into the preaching of God's word. And uh, I imagine not many people have taken the time to read or reflect Psalm 119 simply because it's a, it's a really long psalm. Uh, there are 176 verses, making it by far the longest psalm, but it's, it's poetry that's broken up into 22 alphabetic acrostic stanzas where the first letter of each word in its eight verses of a stanza start with the same letter going down in an alphabetical order. Um, I want to show you, because this is going to be hard for us to see in our English Bibles, but our passage this morning, as Hubin read for us, this is what it looks like in Hebrew, where the first letter, as you can see, starts with the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Tav. And, and so uh, it's, it's an acrostic poem that started from the beginning with Aleph as its Hebrew's version of A and Tav as, as its version of Z. And uh, what, what, what it does, it's, it's the entire psalm, he, he's speaking, the psalmist is speaking about how much he loves the written word of God. The 22 stanzas build up from one to the other, telling the story of the psalmist's journey. He starts with the joy of knowing God because of his word, written and preserved for all of God's people. And so while he faces many trials and oppositions, he knows, that, he knows how to cling to the, the word of God and be confident in God that, that he will fulfill all the promises that he has read in, in, in passages before him. And even though powerful people are shaming him for believing, he still holds on to the Lord and his word because the word of God has constantly been a source of comfort and strength to him. And as he comes to know the word better, he finds himself just desiring and yearning for the word even more praying that he will live by the word, trusting that God will really fulfill all that was written in the word. Now, as Christians, we can understand the mind of the psalmist if we love the Bible. Because the Bible is the word of God, written and preserved through time, so that you and I can know who God is, what he has done, how he loves us, and what he's still going to do. And like the psalmist of Psalm 119, how, how the word, the preserved written word has given them comfort and strength, the gospel and the, and the whole Bible, as we read, gives us comfort and strength. So if you want to know how we can think about the written word of God and how we can express our appreciation for the written word of God, 
then, then I would encourage you after this to take some time on your own to read and reflect and meditate on Psalm 119. So would you join with me in prayer as, as we go into the preaching of his word? <clears throat> Our Heavenly Father, this morning we, are, we come with much great gratitude because you have called us and, and, and given us this time where we can hear your word. And we pray that you would conform our minds to the patterns of your word and not of this world. As difficult as it may be, and even with threat of persecution and opposition, that we may conform to the word of God, knowing that as you speak, it will not return to you in vain, but everything that you have will will come to fruition. So we thank you that we can receive and, and, and continue to be people of hope who can proclaim the message of your living hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning as I start, uh, I want to start by sharing with you all uh, uh, an investment that my family has recently made. Uh, it, it, it brings great delight to share with you all that we recently bought a blue Ferrari. So I want to thank you, church, for diligently and faithfully putting in your offering money so each and every week so that pastors like myself, we can, we can afford to buy a Ferrari. Uh, and if you don't believe me, I have a couple pictures that I want to share with you of, of our new car. If uh, Oh, no. <laughs> there it is. Uh, it's, it's the new Ferrari Camry. <laughs> don't, don't mind that it says Toyota under Camry. Uh, that, that's usually just covered up by the license plate. But it's the, it's the new Ferrari Camry. And in case people didn't know that it's a Camry, I made sure that when people see my car, they knew it's a, Cam uh, it's a Ferrari. <laughs> What's so funny? It's... It's a good investment. Uh, no, you laugh because um, you, you, you have seen my poor Photoshop skills, <laughs> which I literally just took Microsoft Paint and took it another and just pasted it on each other. Uh, but, but you're also laughing because you know that this is a lie. My, my claim has been exposed before you all. And no matter how much I believe my car to be a Ferrari and how much I put on my car to say it's a Ferrari, it will always and ever be a Toyota. Many people today can pretend and delude themselves into thinking that they are one thing when they're really something else. And we currently are living in a world where a man can claim to be a woman when really he is and will always be a man. Um, they can dress themselves up like a woman or even surgically remove certain parts and take hormones to look like a woman, but the chromosomes inside their bodies will keep on crying out manhood while their body is constantly suffering and really suffering in order to put on a new label that does not match what is really under the hood in the molecular level. But even before such social phenomena, people have always worn certain masks to hide their true selves and pretend to be someone else while constantly feeling shame for what they did to hide from others and, and constantly feeling fear of people finding out who they are or even the fear that the very people who claim to love them will reject them the moment the mask is unveiled. But friends, the truth also is that there are people here, even in the church, who think that they are Christians simply because they attend worship services or that they have performed certain extraordinary skills but some church attenders one day will stand before the Lord Jesus on Judgment Day very confused 
while they say to Jesus, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? Do we not cast demons out in your name? Do we not do great and mighty works in your name? Only to hear the Lord Jesus say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There are people who feel like they just need to do enough, regardless of what they know or who they love. That they feel like they just need to make it up or do more and things will be okay. That life will be okay. Regardless of what you believe. But the beauty of Psalm 119 is that it shows us the sufficient thing to, to get through the challenges and the obstacles of life. And it is simply knowing God. And as you know him, you will see how holy he is and how much he loves you. And you will respond in love for him, love that is so deep that you will gladly forsake sin, which is what we call repentance, and that you will gladly trust in him, which is what we call faith. And so I want to share from Psalm 119 this morning uh, for the members of Cornerstone uh, as a a continuing encouragement from what we have been hearing in Zechariah. And and that you would spur and hold on to the law, the goodness, and the commandments of God, even though there are prices that we pay, that you may be certain of the joy and the reward that comes as you cling to the Lord in faithfulness. So there are things that we need to know about God. And from this portion of Psalm 119, I think there are three things that we can cover of of the things that we need to know concerning the Lord. And number one, we, we need to know that this is a God that we can cry out to. So we can cry out to this God. Number two, we need to know that there is much delight in obeying God. And number three, we need to know that this is a God that we confess to. So for the youth group students, if you're taking notes in your bulletin, number one, we can cry out to him. Know that we can cry out to him. Know that there's much delight in obeying him. And number three, know that we must confess to him, to God. So first, we, we need to know that this is a God that we can cry out to. The psalmist says in the first two verses of our reading in verse 169 and 170, let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. And so as I mentioned in the introduction of the passage, the psalmist here, he's facing many troubles where people are laying traps to hurt him. There are those who are taunting him and even princes, people of royalty and power are actively making his life a living hell. And he says, without any cause, I've done no wrong, but these people of authority are persecuting me. So while we don't know who this psalmist is, we we know from what he has written that that he's a, a victim of great injustice and that there are many reasons for him to be troubled. And yet, what is he asking God in, in light of what's happening to him? He's asking to be able to see the world and his situation in light of God and to be delivered from all of his troubles. If there is no God, dear friends, or if God is not just nor good, then we have no reasons for our sufferings, no answer or comfort in our mourning. We just have to accept the things as they happen, and none of it really matters, because ultimately, if there's no God and no purpose for, for our existence, then you don't really matter. The people around you don't really matter, and your situations don't really matter. As I was trying to think of the illustration of of greater understanding, um, the the thing that really just came to my mind is is the Karate Kid, the 1984 edition, not the the Will Smith son and and Jackie Chan one. Uh, But but if you, you know, I'm I'm sure people of my age and and older appreciate the movie and, and you know exactly what I'm thinking of as I'm talking to you about the Karate Kid. 
But if you don't know, it's, it's a story of a young teenager named Daniel who was bullied by his schoolmates. And, and he wanted to learn karate from the apartment's maintenance guy, Mr. Miyagi. The agreement was that Daniel would have to do everything that Mr. Miyagi told him to do without questioning. So the first karate class lesson was wash and wax Mr. Miyagi's car. And so you say, Daniel, son, wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. Then the second lesson was to sand Mr. Miyagi's wooden floor. The Daniel son, right circle, <laughs> left circle. Right circle, left circle. Then the third lesson was to paint his fence and making sure he snaps his wrist while having proper breathing techniques. Up, down, up, down, side to side, side to side. And for four days, he would do these tasks without questioning him because that was the agreement. But then, after, but then getting bullied again, he got fed up, not with the bullies, he got fed up with Mr. Miyagi, blaming him for not teaching him karate like he promised. But Mr. Miyagi told him, not everything is as it seems. And when Daniel was about to leave, Mr. Miyagi called him back, Daniel son, Daniel son, and had him repeat these seamless, pointless movements that he learned from these tasks. Then Mr. Miyagi started throwing punches and kicks. And all of a sudden, Daniel was able to block all these movements that were once uh, believed to be pointless. Understanding then that these tasks had embedded a certain memory in his muscles. And he was able to defend himself. Daniel didn't understand these pointless tasks and even grew frustrated blaming Mr. Miyagi for being bullied. But he came to realize that there were truly points to these tasks. Once he understood that Mr. Miyagi was actively training him, nothing seemed pointless anymore. There was a reason truly for everything. Because God exists and, and he has been active in all of history, the psalmist cries out for understanding and for deliverance. And he has not yet been delivered. Far as we can tell from the writing of this psalm, there is not even a hint that he's going to be delivered. And that's why later on in, in, in our passage, he, he talks about how he's still longing for salvation and that he is in a state of perishing. And he simply wants to live. But this is why the written word of God was so precious to him. Because the written word of God kept a record of all the ways God has powerfully and mightily delivered his people. So even though nothing happened to the psalmist, even though the things did not turn right for him in this moment, the psalmist still held on, being faithful to the Lord and hoping that God is going to deliver because God had already done many miraculous things in the past. He gained an understanding as he reflected on all the written passages of God's activity that God does not abandon his people and all things have their proper place in his plans. This is why, dear friends, even though we may not see rivers part in two, as cool as that might be, or a pillar of fire coming from heaven leading people through wilderness, or even though we have not seen physical dead bodies coming back to life, although that one you and I are going to witness of our own bodies and the bodies of others, we can cry out to God today with confidence that God will be active because of what he has done already. And what is what greater assurance you and I have as Christians in the 21st century 
Though we have not vocally heard the words of Jesus uttered in the Gospels, though we have not seen with their very eyes Christ crucified and resurrecting from the grave, we know that these things happened. And as these, because these things have been written down for us with the testimony and, and the transformed lives of all those who believe, that he really did pay the price of our sins because, gra- the, because death could not hold him in the grave. And those in Christ has received the spirit of sonship where we can address God as our father, not simply as our creator and cast all of our burdens, our anxieties, our worries to him because he cares for us. We know that when we cry out to God, we can interpret all of our situations in light of God and be certain that God is actively moving and working in our lives for our deliverance. Even though nothing seems to be happening now, that because God has done those miraculous things written and preserved for us to see and believe, we can trust that he is still moving and actively working today. So cry out to him, because this is a God that we can cry out to. And second, know that there's much delight in obeying God. The psalmist praises God because God is the one who teaches him his statutes, his laws. And not only are his laws taught, but the psalmist has been able to see that the commandments of God are also right. There are no errors in God's law because it was made by an infallible lawgiver. Some of the laws in our country are weird. And and we could even say that some of the laws in our country are wrong because they've been made by fallible, very fallible lawmakers, people who can make mistakes. Did you know, for example, in Chesapeake City, just about three to four hours down from us, it is illegal for anyone over the age of 14 to go trick-or-treating. If you're 14 or older, you can accompany a minor and have that child go door-to-door collect candy, but you cannot, even if you're accompanying a minor. And if you're caught doing so, you can be hit with a class four misdemeanor, which is up to, uh, in Virginia, it's a fine up to $250. You just wanted some candy. (laughs) And you get fined with $250. For some of us, that might be a slap on the wrist. For a 14 year old, you might as well be put in prison. And in the state of Louisiana, if you surprise someone with a pizza, you could be fined $500. (laughs) Now, I'm assuming that you you surprise them with a pizza and you're making them pay for it, right? Rather than, it's like, I just want to feed you. (laughs) But but we have laws like that in our country. Uh, You can't put donkeys in a bathtub in Alabama. You can't drive blindfolded in Georgia, I, I think. Who would do that anyway? Maybe some of you Tesla drivers. Uh, But the law of God is not frivolous. The law of God is not silly, and the law of God certainly is not wrong. And they are so right that every person knows the law of God in part, even if they have never read the Bible. You know, things like murder, theft, dishonoring one's parents, these are generally understood to be wrong in every society. And if you, if you tell me that there are certain societies that, where, where these things are not universally held, that there are some cultures and countries that may permit, elevate certain levels of theft or murder or dishonor, <clears throat> then I would ask you, how are those countries doing? Because I would guess that some of those civilizations don't exist anymore or these countries are doing very poorly. I know the, the not too long ago recent TikTok track, 
uh, trend is, is that men, we think about the Roman Empire all the time, right? But I was thinking about the Greek Empire and even the mighty nation of Sparta, right? These warrior men and nation is no more because it was a culture that did not value family, that these warriors did not get married until they were late 30s and 40s by choice, and that they did not even have kids until they were well in their 40s. And then they didn't spend time with their sons or their daughters, but went off to train or go to war. And that as they were being defeated one battle after the other, there was nothing in the country to sustain itself. And, and the entire nation of these mighty warriors just faded away. You know, the reason why <clears throat> you and I can delight so much in obeying God's law is because first, the law of God is a reflection of God himself. The laws reveal what the lawgiver or the lawmakers value. So the laws that we study in the Bible is a reflection of God's character. So by studying the law of God, we can see who God is and that this is a God who values life, personal property, family, civility, purity, truth, justice, goodness, just to name a few. But the second reason why we can delight so much in obeying God's law is because his law is actually good for us. There are many things in society that we're trying to figure out what is good for us. For example, in the area of marriage and family, virtually every study is showing that a house with a loving and present father and mother is the best environment for children. And that a committed husband is a strong factor for a woman to be a good and healthy mother. This, this was a study that was done by the Boston Medical Center. And many young men, particularly in poor communities, are more likely to go to prison if they grow up without a father in their homes. One of the reasons why Christians, we, we speak out against gay marriage is because it obstructs what has been shown to be vital for children's development. This is why the Obama administration, um, you know, they, they heavily focused on the roles of father back in 2010, but went silent, virtually silent a year after that because they started to approve and push for civil union of same-sex couples. And, and it's really the administration being consistent because you can't promote fatherhood in all households when you approve households without fathers. And time will tell how children will do when they grow up with same-sex parents. For me, I'm not optimistic for their development, though I don't wish for any child to fail. But the reason is because I trust that God's commandments are right and good for us. And anything in opposition to the law of God is wrong and bad for us. Friends, consider other major policies and ideologies that are deemed good or acceptable in our current era. These ideologies and policies that Christians are known to stand against are really the, that the Bible speaks against. God has already revealed, revealed to us what is good, and it will only be to our detriment to go against his word. Even in topics of abortion, or it's, it's the freedom of the woman, and it's, it's, it's the, the goodness of the woman's choice, while hiding the fact that a lot of these women are scarred and, and, and experiencing great pain as they think about what has happened to them, even though it was by their own choice. That the law of God has been given to us so that we can prosper in living, 
And I think more and more things will prove that God has been right, no matter how much these policies are celebrated and accepted in our culture. And as we see people falling into these lifestyles that are contrary to the word of God, we, we don't respond with shame, but, but, but really we, we come with a desire where we don't want anyone to suffer or perish. This very psalmist in Psalm 119 in an earlier stanza, this is what he said in verse 136. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. And I think this is a proper response when we see people living in contrary to the word that we are hurting to see people living in lifestyles that we know is going to lead to chaos and destruction in the end because there is so much life and delight if we live according to the word of God. Friends, I know that obeying God's law is not easy. And it's not because his laws are so demanding, but it's because we are rebellious by nature. We don't like being told what to do. I still remember my seventh grade science teacher. She, she had an English accent, so she already sounded smart. But on the first day, the very first thing that she told us on the class orientation was, you know, these are the, the schools with the, the black, you know, countertops. Uh, the first thing that she said to us is, don't sit on the tables. And the only thing I wanted to do in the entire class was just sit on the table there was something in me to the point where I was sweating and I had to literally hold myself back because as soon as my teacher said, don't sit on the table, I didn't think of doing that, but now that's all I wanted to do. And it, it was that bad. And, and I think that's typically how we respond to God's law. We say that God is good, whereas the youth group students shouted out with the level of energy that I have not really seen before when we come together on Sundays. But we say that God is good, which means whatever he does is good. And whatever command he has for us is for good. But like Adam and Eve, our first parents, we want to determine what is good for ourselves. But the irony is that Adam and Eve, even though they were given that choice to determine goodness for themselves, they were not the ones in control of determining what was good. It was the snake that was determining what was good for them and evil for them. We all have something that determines what is good for us. And it's not you. You're not the one in control. Something is leading you, having the authority over you to tell you what is good or evil. Will it be the Lord or will it be something else? Friends, if we would only think about the law of God, maybe we can start asking the right questions before we make the decision to reject them simply because the law speaks against our rebellious nature. Remember the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. He, th he, chose, he, he thought that it was better to be crucified by hands of men than to reject God and his law. That it was better, that it was a greater, it would lead to a greater delight to be murdered by people than to reject the law of God. And his resurrection proves that he was right, that he made the right choice that he didn't listen to the temptations of the devil, that he didn't submit to the authority of men because he knew God was better and there is so much joy and delight to follow him even though it cost his life, that we ourselves may see him as that model and make that choice ourselves. And lastly, we need to know that we must confess to God. Throughout 175 verses, the psalmist has been talking about how the law of God has been so good and how he has rejoiced to keep them 
and how he has been keeping them. But in this last verse in 176, while still reflecting on the law of God, he comes to this striking conclusion, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. As Christians, we delight to obey the Lord because his commandments to us are out of love for us. They're not burdensome to us. We know that they're good for us. And yet, we still find ourselves going astray from time to time like a runaway sheep. Perhaps because the psalmist was compromised by those around him that caused him to break a law. Or maybe through all these threats and all these taunts, he came to a point of weakness that he simply just gave into a temptation. Or maybe he genuinely reflected through the law of God and recognized though he was trying to follow, he still failed to follow the law perfectly. Whichever the case may be, the psalmist is crying out in this last word of this poem that he is one who is lost and he doesn't know the way back. So what does he ask God to do? Seek your servant. He's saying to God, come and find me. I'm lost. Come and find me. I'm going to die and I'm going to perish without you. Come and find me because I don't know how to come to you. Dear friends, maybe today you are here and for one reason or another, you have gone astray from the Lord. And you just don't know if you can ever come back. And if that's you this morning, may I encourage you to, to reflect upon these words and pray this prayer with humility. Seek your servant. I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. Because God knows exactly where you are. And he can come and find you. You are never too lost to be saved. And God's arm is never too short to reach. And for all of us, the rest of us who have been believing, remember why the Lord sought, to, sought you and to save you. It was never because you obeyed enough. Your repentance and faith did not lead the Lord to love you. Rather, it was his love that led you to repent and believe. His love is so evident through the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the perfect son. He is the one who is worthy to be called the son of God, the only one who has perfected perfectly obeyed the commandments of the Lord and earned his right place. And he gave that position to you by grace as a gift. He worked so that you can be saved. And even though you, you, would, never, you, you would never have been or you could never be perfect on this side of glory. So even on our best days, we really have something to confess. And I, I hope that you will remain humble before the Lord, that you would go to him daily, remember his commandments, and ask him to seek us. Without the gracious hand of God holding us, we would have rejected him and placed ourselves in the path of destruction with our disobedience. But thanks be to God who keeps us and reveals to us his good nature and his good commandments. So may all of us, dear friends, grow to know our God. I mentioned the reason why I talked about transgender in the intro and about uh, marriage and family is because these are the topics that are challenging for us as Christians to be vocal on and to stand on. It's, it's not hard for us to gather in this place proclaiming these things because I, I trust that most of you hold to the same values that we proclaim here on the pulpit. But I know how difficult and or rather I, I can just imagine how difficult it must be for you when you go to work but that you would stand upon the law of God, cling to the law of the Lord because his commandments are right, that they're good, displaying the very character of who God is and how it is good for us. 
So cry out to him anytime and in any condition because his love has been revealed to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. May we know that there is much delight as we live in obedience to his word because his commandments are right and good. And may we know to confess to him because all of us are guilty before the Lord. Yet we have been spared because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Dying for wicked people who would at a given moment go astray like a lost sheep. Yet giving us to see new life with eyes of faith so that we will know for certain there is truly nothing better than him. And and live with full confidence, no matter the obstacle, the threats, the persecution, or the difficulty, that through his resurrection, we too will live forever. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, this morning, as we hear from your word and reflect on these passages, we are thankful that you have given us your written word preserved for us to know you. And we ask God throughout this week that your spirit would minister to us, creating in us a desire to read and to know you further. That your spirit would illuminate the pages of scripture so that in every page we may see Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you that in him we find full assurance that as we stand in obedience to your word, as we cling to your commandments, that there is greater delight and joy for us ahead. So no matter the challenges that we face as people of God, through the cultural narratives and the shifting cultures, help us to be firm as we stand upon Jesus, our foundation. That though our lives may be forfeit, we know that there's greater delight and joy on the other side, as you have led the way for us and trust that you are leading us still. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's rise together and close our time with a song of praise. Mm-hmm.